All right, everybody, welcome to Roses and Rhetoric, episode number 19. We have a very special episode for you guys today. And to introduce myself, I am Joseph Stanford, and with me, my handsome and honorable co host, Jimmy Danger Hackett. There you go, Jimmy. I threw Thank the word you. danger there. What do you think about that? I, uh, I'm pretty dangerous, you know, five foot six, but I'm pretty scrappy. I grow a good beard. I know my way around integration by part. So I would say on any given day, I'm pretty dangerous. How about yourself? Are you still charming? Uh, not today, apparently, because I did not have anyone to introduce me that way, but maybe next week. Joe, I think you're, uh, of course, I think you're very charming. The, 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 the charming co-host of the Roses and Rhetoric podcast. The podcast would not be anything without the charming co-host of Joseph Stanford. So thank you for that wonderful introduction. I want to start very quickly. Uh, people that have been watching these last few weeks, we you know we've had uh, quite a number of guests join us on the podcast, and I would highly recommend everybody go back and watch those episodes with our with our um, our guests. They each brought something really important to say to the to the podcast, and we're grateful for all of them. Start with our first. Uh, author on the on the podcast, Dr. Phil Lacavara, author of False Flags. If you haven't already, get his book. It's a great book. Bill and I both read it. We both enjoyed it. Um, following up from that, of course, a very special guest, Dr. Ira Helfen, who joined us from Physicians for Social Responsibility, talking about the very real, very important issue of nuclear proliferation. And uh, I definitely encourage people to check out that episode and then also check out his website. Tons of great information out there. Definitely an issue to follow closely. And then just last week, uh, a really fun episode too. A great friend of the podcast and host of their own podcast, uh, Jack, who joined us from the world's best podcast with Jack and Reno. I thought Jack had a ton of good points about mindset, about worldview, and about how the two come together Um I found that probably in, in the past year with COVID and all these things happening, that worldview is actually extremely important. And it was absolutely one of those things that I did not pay enough attention to prior to probably the last year or so, where I kind of fortuitously came across some authors and some entrepreneurs who really talked about the importance of worldview. And uh, I thought that Jack hit on all the main points um, on that topic last week and last week's episode. So definitely a thing that he thinks a lot about. I would encourage all of our viewers here today to also check out Jack's podcast as well. Again, that's the world's best podcast, Jack and Reno, and um, follow Jack on Twitter, et cetera. So those are the friends of the podcast, Joe. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I thought we've, we've had a lot of fun this past month or so with these guests. I mean, what, what's your feedback kind of broadly been about the uh, people that we've had on the show? Yeah, uh, Nobel Prize winners, published authors um other podcasts podcasters it's almost like this is starting to seem like a legitimate operation very legitimate and uh, <laughs> we, <laughs> i i have the the uh, same feeling and i would just anybody who's out there the easiest thing you can do to support our podcast is to, to of course like share subscribe follow you know all the stuff already twitter or twitter Tweet us or follow us on Twitter at roses underscore rhetoric. Also, we have our own website, www.rosesandrhetoric.com. Follow Joe on Twitter at Jose four underscores Clairvo. And then he's also on Instagram as well. So all the latest and greatest on those websites, on those platforms, follow us there. But Joe, I wanted to talk a little bit about the podcast as a whole. And I thought this might be kind of a fun conversation to have on air today is basically a conversation about what we are trying to accomplish with this podcast. Um, I think we first began this, this uh, of course, just so we have the record straight, you know, give Joe all of his due credit. 
this really was Joe's brainchild. Uh, Joe sent me a text saying, hey, would you do a podcast? And I thought you on it uh, for at least a couple of weeks, if not a, maybe more, but eventually you won me around. And I, I think we had really this idea that there were maybe three or four authors that we both had, had uh, enjoyed talking about in private, Nassim Taleb, Scott Adams, Robert Cialdini, probably a few others. And we really found their ideas to not only be um, interesting, but also consequential. That is to say that we could look out into the world, see those ideas in action, and have another thought, which is if more people knew about these ideas, things might progress differently with any number of realms, social interaction, political interaction, et cetera. But I think we, we began there, and I'm, I'm curious where you see kind of the, 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 the evolution of this, of this platform and what it is, feels to me like it's turning into, but I kind of want to get your idea first about what you think it's turning into and about where you think we go from here. That's a, that's a great question. Um, like you said, this originally started as just a way to discuss some common interests of some of these authors we talked about. But I, I also get a lot of benefit from it, from just having this systemized routine of like an opportunity to come and like practice some of these written or uh, verbal or presentation skills that don't normally get that get uh, used. And I think that it's, it's carrying over to like all, many different parts of my life. So there definitely are some selfish interests in it as well. But uh, I like the direction it's heading where we're actually promoting some of these more powerful messages, like how to prevent nuclear war. And um, essentially, I, we can act as activists for a lot of these things. And we're also getting to read a lot of books and a lot of other publishing publishments that we normally would not have been able to read. So it's just really just expanding not only the minds of ourselves, but the minds of our, our listeners as well. And uh, I think they enjoy that. I, I think you're absolutely right. I want to make a bold claim right now. And I, I want to say that one of the, the key things that we focus on in this podcast is trying to convince people that it is within their power to find something that they control and that they can exert some kind of deterministic outcome on. In other words, we may not be able to control how well a book sells, but we can control that we write a book. And again, I go back to Dr. Phil Lacopara, you know, not a background in writing, not a background in authorship, but he wrote a book. And I want to encourage our authors, I, I or not our authors, our, our, our listeners, I don't want people to think of this podcast as a place where we have good discussions. I want to see it as a place that people go to to look for action items. That is to say things, not just to learn ideas, but to actually put them into practice and to kind of put our money where our mouth is. I want people to know that are listening to this. Um, if you write a book, if you draw a picture, if you make a painting or a sculpture or whatever, uh, because you're inspired by this progress, reach out to us. We will help you promote it. That's our guarantee right now. That we want to we want to truly put our money where our mouth is. We're, we, we are talking about the emergence of a creative economy, et cetera. We are going to put our money where our mouth is. If you take initiative, if you write something, if you publish something, if you draw something, et cetera, if you create anything of, of, of any kind, reach out to us. We will help you promote it. And uh, we really will do our best for that because I really think that the a, a big part of the future, and in, 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 in a sense, I think what will become a legitimate source of confidence for the country will be people taking more action in their own lives as individuals and propelling something to turn an idea into some kind of product 
into some kind of thing, into some kind of manifestation. Um, that is what I want the encouragement to be. And I, and I, I think in some way, all of the themes that we've discussed so far on the, on the show so far orbit around really a number of ideas, but I think at the heart of those ideas is this idea of, of individual action and believing enough in yourself to do something on your own and to propel again, that idea into something real and to have some kind of manifestation from your idea into the world. Yeah. I, I'm starting to see this as being more and more of a distribution platform day by day. Um, to make a metaphor, it's like a, a bigger digital megaphone for voices to be heard. And we get to control what goes through the inside, the input of that megaphone. So I very excited to see where things are going. Very excited to think about what implications those could have. And uh, yeah, overall, I've been very happy with things. Let's let's talk a little bit about, for our, our audience's sake, let's talk a little bit about slogans um, and, and uh, catchphrases, et cetera. I, uh, I was really blown away, no pun intended, by Ira, by Dr. Ira, Ira Helfin's, uh, yeah. Too soon. Too soon, too soon. Yeah, no, I, uh, the, the, the way that he ended that podcast, it was a quote, and I, I'm not going to quote it quite right, but I was thinking of slogans for, you know, what we're trying to promote here on the podcast. I was thinking something along the lines of this, the future, if we choose it, you know, in other words, there is a future out there that we can work towards with more more prosperity, more individuality, more uh, 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 creative endeavor, et cetera. But it requires choice to get there. And I, I, I myself don't believe that things are inevitable uh, usually. And I think that the, the future of this country and really, the, you know, if you make it more broadly, you know, the future of humanity is not set in stone that as a, as, a, as a group of people, we have to make choices to connect where we are now to where we want to be. And the authors that we have on this show, whether it's uh, you know, talking about things to be concerned about, like nuclear war, or if it's about people that are using their own power of an individual to make something, I think the central message is that no matter who you are, you have something to contribute and encourage them to contribute. And I think that self-esteem, in a sense, builds towards a positive future that I think we would all benefit from. Yeah, I think that's a powerful habit that most people lack is just materializing the things that are in their brains. Like how often do people get ideas and they're like, oh, I should totally do this. I should totally uh, do that. But it never actually uh, materializes. And then the word never gets out there. And then they're, have, they're no better than they were before at that point. So I hope that we act as a model for anyone with those thoughts and that has something they want to get out there and get materialized. Very good, very good. Well, I, I'm like I say, continuously excited by this by this podcast and uh, but where where I think things are are headed in. Um, I want to change gears just a little bit. Let's let's circle back to education. We were talking about education last week and then maybe the week before. Um, its role in society, its role in kind of where we're going with um, not only things on this podcast but more broadly as society, what we're trying to accomplish with education. I wanted to brought a, a definition for education and see if you agree with it or not. Education is the mechanism for reducing future mental effort. So in other words, you have a point in time where somebody discovers something. So let's take Albert Einstein and relativity. Mm -hmm. So Albert Einstein, and I, you know, the, 
the, the history is probably more complicated than this, but just for the sake of the podcast, let's say that Einstein conceives of relativity, conceives of general relativity, and in that moment creates this new thought. All of the effort after that, that goes towards education is to make the mental effort to comprehend that idea easier than it would be for someone to have to rediscover that discovery. So in a sense, education is, we take that initial mental effort, we make it as small as possible, but as a species, we're not having to literally redo everything every time we teach kids you know, trigonometry or algebra or you know, whatever it is. We make that effort as small as possible to, in, in a sense, skip that effort to move them along in this you know, progression of education as a, as a species. Yeah, it's so it's more of like a, a trial instead of going through trial by fire to learn things, we can provide shortcuts to them through yeah. uh, just the wisdom of the, of the humanity. And, 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 and yeah, exactly right. And on top of that, it may be the case that the path somebody took to discover something is not the most optimum path for comprehension. And if you were to look at, you know, kind of all the things that people you know, all the like the thought experiments that people went through to try to connect the starting point to the finishing point of some kind of intellectual breakthrough, that there might be a more straightforward path that people can discover after the fact. So like once we know that the theory is true, then we can go back reassess it and say, how could we simplify what this idea is really trying to tell us? How could we simplify the connection between where somebody is at currently and where they're going to be after that intellectual uh, progression uh, to make that effort as small as possible? So in a, in, in, in a sense, the job of the teacher is to figure out all of these mental shortcuts and all of these possible uh, uh, hangups in mental thought to connect where a student is at the, say, the beginning of the school year to where we want them to be at the end of the school year, to make that effort as little as possible. Um, and the, the, the effort meaning what it takes to truly comprehend something uh, from a starting position of knowledge to the ending point of having additional knowledge. So I would say that schools have definitely failed at achieving that goal. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you would agree with that or not. And but. everybody, thanks for joining us. Episode number 19 of the Roses Reddit. Always ending on a high note. So, so, so go ahead. So uh, tell me, give me, give me this. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence with this, actually. So tell me yes. why you think that they failed and maybe an, an example of an idea that you, that you were introduced to in, in a school that was in, in uh, some sense made more complicated maybe than it needed to be. Okay, I can give an example of that. Um, I want to start, though, by talking how I think the system itself is just inherently has so much weight and fat and inertia to it that it's hard to it's hard to make it dynamic in a dynamically changing world, right? Like the 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 curriculum that you see in schools today is like the same as it was in the 40s, like in the 30s. Um, granted, they might have like a computer class or something where they like teach you how to use Microsoft Word, but other than that, it's been largely unchanged since that time. And they, most of the stuff that they do teach is just completely useless. Like even as an engineer, like I rarely use my calculus. I rarely use half the math classes I took or half the concepts often, I learned. How often do you use this? <laughs> Not as often as you evidently. <laughs> but it's, I, I think it's, was largely a waste of time. It was largely more of just a social experiment for me growing up as opposed to legitimate education. Because if I want to learn something, like I'm just going to, I'm, I'm going to go learn it myself. I'm going to go read it in a book. I'm going to go watch a YouTube video. I'm going to go discover it on my own. And that's where the real learning happens is like the things that you're genuinely interested in learning about. So I, 
I think that the education has, uh, has let a lot of people down the system. And I would also say, because you asked like what another good example of this is, is I think that if we had taught people about the power of compound interest in the stock market, that could change countless lives. It could change everybody's lives. It could shave years off careers and the people are just completely oblivious to it because guess what? No one taught us. And same thing. I would also throw in a class on uh, or, or some curriculum surrounding making websites, uh, maybe how to properly run social media um, accounts and run ads and just base very simple, like basic um, business principles for, for the online world. Cause that's, seems like that's where a lot of the money's getting made now. Like it's either you buy into this education system and fall out that pipeline into the standard job world and with student loan debt and everything, or you break away from it. And the internet is the only real option to get out of it, in my opinion. Yeah, a lot of a lot of good ideas there. Um, I I definitely uh, I, I think the the main thing you said that I wanted to circle back on, and it's funny because I was thinking about this as well, is changing curriculum and how we have really failed to change curriculum. I'm I'm going to make a bold claim right now. I don't really have any room to say this. I'm not really an expert in any, in any of these fields, but my my feeling is that counterintuitively, maybe we have made. Uh, high school too easy in that I would say also we made it very boring. Um, I would essentially say, I don't know why we teach chemistry in high school, the way that we teach chemistry. And I'm using chemistry as an example of a class where we basically teach kids chemistry in the following way. It's here's a set of rules that chemicals follow. And we do these things called Lewis dot structures because they somehow work. And we do these things called, uh, you know, uh, poly exclusion principle where you're drawing little electrons and little arrows on little lines. And it's like, what? Like, and, and this is like all quantum mechanics. And it's like, so you're learning quantum mechanics before you've learned calculus and you're learning poly exclusion principle before you've learned the really the more fundamental parts of quantum mechanics. And the whole thing just seems very bizarre to me. I right now have a book on special relativity and the gist of it is this, you can get a pretty good introduction from, and this is like from me learning it, teaching it to myself, you can get a pretty good introduction to special relativity without any calculus, meaning that it could absolutely be a part of our high school curriculum. And where I'm going with this is I think that we should be, high school should serve the purpose that when you graduate, you should have a pretty good understanding of the world and you should be, um, I would say when you graduate high school, there, you should have a good fundamental foundation to pursue essentially anything beyond that point that you want to. And I think one area that we have failed in that is, I think, physics, that we could introduce kids to quantum mechanics earlier in life, we can introduce them to relativity earlier in life, and introduce them to calculus early on in life. And I think that we shouldn't be afraid of really challenging students with that material, because I think there's a lot to be said in giving people, you know, kind of going back to, to Tim Ferriss's point, where aside from the fundamental laws of physics, everything else is negotiable. Then let's, let, let's, and I agree with that. I, then let's really make sure that we nail kids' interpretation, understanding, at least at a fundamental level of some of these physical principles and really, and really tell kids, look, this is going to be hard and challenging, but we have enough confidence in you that we're not going to lower the bar. This is going to be hard, but tough. You're going to learn it because you can learn it. We believe in you. And that's going to be the encouragement that we give them to kind of propel 
um, in, in my sense, this, um, we, we need a, a, a growing sense of confidence among our students to take on challenging material. And then do I think really take advantage of the points you're making about individuality, entrepreneurship, you need self-esteem to have that. I think a good source of self-esteem for some kids would be concrete material that is challenging, is complicated, but should also be uh, in their grasp. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about this recently, about the school system in particular and why they, why, why it's been failing us so much. And I think that there is a pretty straightforward solution to get this, this thing back on track. And I think that starts with uh, abolishing the teachers' unions. I think... <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the number one thing that's going to help us because uh, right now there's there's no competition. It's a education is essentially a government run agency that prepares students for standardized tests, which they also create. Right, like it's there's no there's no drive, there's no motivation to to cater the curriculum to the real world and to the to the economy to the free market. Now. What one thing that just fundamentally doesn't make doesn't make a lot of sense is that the government funds uh, students through the schools. They don't fund the students directly; they fund the the schools. So, if we were able to, and there is a lot of legislation in the works right now. Um, I know Virginia; there was a big bill that was getting passed, but or that was getting looked at, where you put the funding with the child, not with the school. Mm-hmm. So, regardless of where the child goes, uh, they're going to be funded. So then they essentially have school choice at that point. And then now you're not just stuck in the school that's in your zip code. And it's like, oh, crap, now I have to move because I want to go to a different school because this school, my zip code sucks. Um, you can have that option. You can just send them off to another school. Or with COVID, you, it could be world, worldwide competition or nationwide competition with it being online. And I really think that that competition is going to be the secret sauce to make the curriculum more relevant to, to what the students need. Yeah, I will. I, I will tell you, I definitely go back and forth on school choice. I mean, I definitely see the merits in it. Um, I, I also see the merits of having a well-funded public school available to everybody. And I honestly, I, the, the teacher union is, is kind of a newer issue for me that I haven't really even heard much about until um, COVID and should schools open, should schools close. I don't want to weigh into that. But um I mean, I, I, my, my sense is that um, definitely with standardized testing that it, that it narrows the imagination. I mean, one, one thing that I've heard people talk about with our schools where we don't do a good job of is that we don't, we don't do a good job of fostering creativity. And I, t- to me, that, that's such an important part of it because getting back to your point earlier about learning what you want to learn, I mean, that, that is kind of the other side of the same coin of creativity is, is you know, kind of choosing your own path through education. So I would be interested in, um, you know, hearing people's proposals for, for giving students more choice in what they study at the high school level, maybe even at the grade school level, you know, it, it, what, can, can we still cover, you know, the quote unquote fundamentals and give more flexibility in what the curriculum actually looks like? Um, I think just from my own take too, that there's a ton of great content online and that uh, I, I more and more, I, I would suspect, I guess, that teaching will be more and more, you know, kids being exposed to ideas online and then having somebody in a, in a classroom more in like in a, in a tutoring capacity. I mean, I, I still think you need someone that can understand a student struggle at the individual level and to say, oh, here's where you're stuck. Here's how to get around that part where you're stuck. I, don't, I think that'll be hard for a computer to do. And 
possibly even hard to do online because I, I still think being in person uh, just feels better for some reason. But um, I, I, I am interested in the idea of, of making things more personal. I mean, that for to me, that's where my mind always goes with, with these topics is when you when you have top down solutions, you're all, you're obviously at, you're having to average over large numbers of people. And for me, it's always how can we make it more individualistic? How can we make it more targeted to the person? And at, at the same time, give people an outlet for creativity, especially in, in what they choose in, in terms of learning. You know, what, what do they want to learn about and how can we empower those choices um, all along the way? And I would say that it could be true, possibly could, that could be true at every level of education. Yeah. I, and all, all we got to do is we got to just teach people how to make web content, how to be able to put content on the web, because that's that's the ultimate freedom right there. Like when you are in a position where you essentially don't, you are your own boss, you can create your own content, but most people don't know how to do that. It's a large barrier to entry for most people. And it doesn't need to be because it's not that hard. And we're doing it. it <laughs> how hard can yeah. it be? <laughs> like, look at us. Yeah. And I think that another way that the education system has failed us or the curriculum at least is they don't teach you how to think. Like not at, at no point in my curriculum that I learned that we live in a subjective reality. <laughs> like my subjective perspective is totally different than everyone else's subjective perspective. But for some reason, we just pretend like that's not a thing. Like look yeah. how divided the nation is. Right. But everyone still falls under the paradigm. Like, oh, it's everyone else is wrong. It's not me. I can't have this, the uh, subjective opinion here. I just see things objectively. But no one taught me to think that way. That's, that wasn't, and that's largely one of the most important things that you can learn in this world. And that's never discussed in, in school. I, yeah. And I, I obviously I totally agree with you. I mean, the, the, the two most important, you know, psychology authors that we talk about on this podcast, right. Who Cialdini, Ty Adams, you know, their whole message is <laughs> the way you feel about something is probably not how you should feel about it. <laughs> it's probably more complicated. And if you're not careful, all of these uh, subconscious forces are going to be working in the background that are going to be controlling uh, your behavior. And I, I, I definitely agree um, with the idea of learning how to think and learning how to think logically and how to think through something. And I, I, to, to me, that could really be, you know, where the uh, education and, and, and sciences could be uh, really instrumental. Is that in, 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 in a way, going back, looking at the historical developments of different theories and, and explaining to kids, you know, here are the steps that the scientists made to connect an observation to a hypothesis, to a theory. And I think just training in that mindset is extremely important. And then I think also the training of understanding uh, that all of us at all times are not just under the influence of our logical faculties, but also our subconscious emotional faculties as well. And to always have that, you know, be a part of our, of our comprehension of how we see things that you know, is this an influence principle? Do I really want to buy this car or am I just being swindled by a smooth talking salesman? Who knows? But if you're not paying attention, then you'll never ask the question. So I definitely agree with you on those points. And I, and I, and I definitely think that there are topics that could be, like, I don't think they're complicated. Like, I, I don't think anything in, in Robert Cialdini's book is complicated. It's eye-opening, it's important, but it's not challenging intellectually. I mean, that's just my opinion. I don't know if you agree with that, but it's like- No, it's an easy read. <laughs> Yeah. And it, it's a great book. I, we've said, I mean, go buy it, Persuasion Influence, but they're not hard books. They're not, you know, pages of calculus. You got to go through anything like that. It's, it's just, Hey, here are some principles that we observe in our lab. 
Here's how they're employed by people. Here's how to defend yourself against them. Pretty simple stuff. And it's, to your really point, that difficult. we never hear about it in school. Uh, and we easily could. I, again, we easily could. So I, I'm interested for that. I, I'm interested to see how the curriculum changes because I think that there is, and I think this might be one of the paradoxes, but we ought to think about you know, making school harder in, in some way to really say, no, it is hard. Like I always think back to Adam Kroll. Do you remember when they had the high school? You know, it was like the slogan for the high school was do the impossible, graduate. And Adam Kroll's <laughs> point was like, what kind of message is that for these kids? Like no one, like everyone gets it. Like, yeah, some of these kids really do have hard lives. That No one's denying that. You're not doing them a favor by saying do the impossible, graduate. I mean, that is, the bar couldn't be any lower. <laughs> <laughs> the impossible joe no the impossible yeah you know? north hollywood high has a very different uh yeah perspective on things than let me let me make a broad schools. claim we're not gonna advance to the next level of civilization if uh the impossible is graduating high school i'll make a bold claim and say that right now right i mean come on no so, the yeah. impossible the impossible i mean that that is us failing our kids right there I mean, that's bad pre-persuasion. Horrible persuasion. Bad persuasion. Do the impossible, get straight Bs in four years of high school. You know, that's not encouraging anybody. That's not motivational to anybody. You know, if you actually believe, as I believe, that these kids are our future, like I actually believe that, I don't want to set them up for saying, yeah, do great things, aka get Bs in all your classes and barely. No. No, that's not going to be the uh, the uh, future that you want to live in. Those no, those kids are <laughs> that's, that's not good for anybody. Oh my gosh! I you know I um I I I actually think you know so Scott Adams' book you know and uh, and uh, uh, loser think he talks about the golden age and how education is going to be really motivated and improved with his online content. I'm really hoping that that's true because I think there's a ton of room for improvement on that, and um, I, I think I there is real potential for high quality content to be coming out online. Um, let me, let me, let me change gears a little bit. I just want to say anything else about education. I had another rant right. to go on, but go ahead. Yeah, go no, ahead. no. Before you go on that rant, I just want to touch on one point. Um, Cause you, you were, you were talking about making, making school harder for people. Um, Conceptually harder. Now, in other words, don't make it difficult with busy work, but saying, look, Actually, our world has changed quite a bit since, oh, I don't know, the 1700s from Newtonian from Newtonia mechanics. Here, uh, here you go. Yeah, I'm thinking like towards myself and like what, what were hard things for me to learn. <laughs> and I would say that anything that was hard for me to learn was something that I was just completely and utterly disinterested in. <laughs> like if I'm interested in something, it's so easy to learn endless amounts of knowledge. Like I'm yeah. just hungry for the knowledge. I can consume it for, for days, literally days. And I think that needs to be part of the secret sauce is learning how to link people's individual interests with the curriculum, like you were talking about earlier. And um, yeah, I think it's just, it's, it's really doing a massive disservice to a lot of students to just, because at that point, you're just training them to make this grade. You're training them to get an arbitrary score on an arbitrary piece of paper for arbitrary reasons. Like it's, it's, it's defeats the actual purpose of like, right education as you described it earlier and then we wonder why they're bored you know we (laughs) We wonder wonder why they're bored (laughs) we wonder why they're bored hey you guys want to enjoy typing in a bunch of uh 
you know, fucking factorial problems in your, you know, on your paper, right? Finding yeah. zeros and all these polynomials. I mean, Joe, what a useful skill, by the way. You, I mean, you I, wonder what, yeah, you wonder why the high school kids are smoking weed in the parking lot during their yeah, lunch break. Yeah. You know, you wonder, you know, hey, do you guys want to do something cool with math? Oh, uh, what? Solve a cool problem? No, factor polynomial. Oh, fuck yeah. Sign me up for that. <laughs> Can't wait, Joe. No, I love yeah. factoring polynomials. I love it. You guys, you guys want to learn about linear algebra? Yeah, that sounds like a useful school. Cool. Let's make, let's do, uh, uh, let's do a uh, row reduction. Oh, well, that doesn't sound fun. Oh, no, you're going to hate it. And you're going to fuck it up every time and get the wrong answer. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, pros and cons. <laughs> you know, you're going to get a lot of red ink on your test. <laughs> you get a lot of red ink. Oh, <laughs> drop the minus sign. Minus 50. Sorry. Carries all the way down. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Oops. So ridiculous. Yeah. But hey. At least you're having fun. At least you're having fun in high school. <laughs> Making good choices. Doing the impossible. Doing the impossible. <laughs> Grad- yeah, doing the impossible. Graduating. That diploma. Graduating. Yeah. It is, uh, it is frightening. And the thing is, with both of us, we know good teachers that like work to not make that the case. But it just seems like they're in an uphill battle. Um, they're Very in few and far between. So we wish them the best of luck. We ought to get a teacher on here. You know, we can like show their face blurred out so they don't get fired or anything. Like the, the, like the fake voice or something, but get them on here and, and, and see what they say about this. But I, um, it, is, uh, it is ridiculous. Okay, I'm gonna go on a bit of a rant here. Uh, something happened this week and that really pissed me the fuck off. You know that I love Tom Brady. You know that I love Tom Brady. It definitely, in my opinion, goat. People may argue other, other things, but it's silly to argue that he's not the GOAT. Of course, he is the GOAT. Tom Brady was in Florida last week. I'm sure you saw the video of him stumbling, you know, into a bathroom or something. He got hammered. All right. He got I heard hammered. about it. I didn't see okay. it, but I heard All about right. it. Yeah. Everybody starts bitching on Twitter. Uh, terrible example for the kids. How can you do uh, Let me tell you something right fucking now. Tom Brady... <laughs> be a better role model than your sorry ass if you was spray painting a penis on the White House wearing socks with sandals. He'd be a better role model than you on any day of the week. So all these fucking people out there are saying, how, but what about the kids? Fuck your kids. Tom Brady is the goat. He can do whatever he wants. He was in Florida. Joe, do you know how many sober people are in Florida? None. None. When you're sober in Florida, you fucking leave. You get out. When you drive into Florida, it says population, oh, I don't know, around 10 or two drunk to count. I mean, that's what the that's what the, the, the state says that when you walk in. There are no sober people in Florida. So yeah, Tom Brady drank too much. He's a world-class quarterback. He's the goat. He won the Super Bowl. Give him a fucking break. I am so tired of parents who take it to Twitter or go on and call in the news programs and complain about these people not being better role models for their kids. I, these people are dorks, Joe. They're dorks. Don't you agree? Could, could you imagine how dumb you have to be to think, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to criticize Tom Brady for not being a better role model for my kid. You be a better role model for your kid. Leave Tom Brady the fuck alone. He's a world-renowned quarterback. God bless Tom Brady. And I, I, I can't imagine anybody being sober in Florida. So give me a break. That, yeah, that just completely pissed me off. It's like these people are just totally not looking at the facts that he is the GOAT. He has seven rings. He's been to 10 Super Bowls. 
he he doesn't do drugs he doesn't do out well maybe a couple of when if you win the super bowl he wouldn't do some alcohol but of course you're gonna you just won the super bowl and he, he's uh he's faithful to his wife like he's hasn't had any issues there he's very focused like he's an excellent role model i can't think of many better role models but it's like a double standard because you have like rob gronkowski right and you throw a video of him partying up on the internet and everyone's like oh yeah go rob like awesome like let's go but Tom Tom Brady lets loose a little bit after the Super Bowl, and he gets a, a you remember, shitstorm of criticism. Do you remember this? Probably would have been I don't know, some some years ago where Michael Phelps got in trouble for smoking marijuana. Do you remember he this? Got pulled, he got pulled off the Wheaties box. Okay, <laughs> let me <laughs> get a little. I get a little heated right now. I'm getting, I'm getting a little a little hot. Michael Phelps is the most decorated Olympian of all time. He is literally a superhuman. He is literally an American hero. To think that anybody would criticize Michael Phelps for smoking marijuana is so outrageous to me. Michael Phelps is a fantastic role model for literally anybody. He's an extremely hard worker. He's very humble. He has, again, many of the same things you were saying about, uh, about Tom Brady. Why on earth would anybody feel the need to attack him for smoking marijuana? I, I cannot, I, I get so mad when parents do this bullshit. It pisses me off so much. And they're all parents. It's all parents. What about my kid? What about my kid? What about my role model? What about my role model? Michael Phelps doesn't owe you a damn thing. Leave him alone. Leave Tom Brady alone. All these people, leave them all alone. And uh, get on with your boring life. That's, that, that's my advice. Anybody out there who's critiquing these athletes or these celebrities for not being better role models, uh, Get off your high horse. You're probably a boring person. You're probably a dork. Leave them alone. Joe, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Do you agree or not? No, I, I completely agree. And I'm, I'm thinking back. I think it was after a Super Bowl he won a few years ago. There was like video of him like cliff jumping, like jumping off a high cliff into like a river or something. And it was the same thing. You got the same criticism. Like, oh my gosh, this is so dangerous. If my kid watches Tom Brady jump off a cliff, my kid's going to jump off a cliff too. Your kid jumped because he hates you. (laughs) That's straight right now. Leave Tom Brady alone. Leave Michael Phelps alone. All the celebrities alone. Leave them all alone. You know, don't even ask for their autograph. You're probably just annoying them. I mean, these celebrities do enough for you anyways. Leave them alone. Just, Just don't bother them. And don't critique them and don't offer a little feedback. Don't need it, especially from you. You're probably a boring dork. You don't, you don't have to bring anything to the table. Not me, right? No, not you. The, the, oh, the people who are hearing this that are better, you know, dorks, <laughs> that are better goobers who think I'm going to, you know, vent my rage about something about Tom Brady drinking too much. You, you probably drink too much. So chill the fuck out. <sighs> hey, who, who do these people expect? Who would they consider is a, an idol if not Tom Brady? Like who? Who's runner up for that? Like who's, who's a better example? Who who's like the goat? You know, and like the, Michael Phelps goat. No one comes close. Tom Brady goat. No one comes. Like who? What do they want? Do they want more hard working people. Do they want more display of talent? On it just it doesn't make any sense. And it's it's it's, it's just the idea that they would say that they owe their kids. Not, it, no, your your kids got enough from these from these people. You know, relax. Leave them alone. Leave them alone. I have something written down. That's kind of the only the only people more annoying than somebody who thinks the world revolves around them is somebody who thinks it revolves around their children. Only person more annoying. <laughs> you know what I mean? These people and then their kids and everything. Hey, leave leave Tom Brady alone. That's my advice. So leave leave him alone. Seven rings. 
So, relax. Um, so, not to play devil's advocate or anything, but have you seen the videos circulating of, like, Tom Brady, like, open mouth kissing his children? Oh, when he was getting a massage? I, I don't remember the, the yeah, situation, yeah, yeah. but I've been yeah. a while back. Yeah, yeah. That was a little cringe. Also, Tom, don't put videos like that online. We don't need to see that either. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's all do a little give take. We won't critique you for drinking too much. Don't put videos. Don't put your tongue down in your children's mouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're going to do a little give or take here. We're going to do a little give or take. Okay. <laughs> I know that you like the uh, simulation theory hypothesis. We talked about it before. Mm. I have a read for you on this. I, I, I don't think this is my original idea, but I, I read this somewhere. I wanted to get your take on this. Okay. What if in the matrix, humans represent base reality and the machines represent everyone else created downstream of the initial departure? Like the machines are a new life form? Like, um, so normally like in the, in the matrix lore, it's like humans existed, like they made, they made AI, and like then like inside of the matrix, um, <laughs> let, me write, let, me, let me read this again. It was a really good idea when I thought of it. I, I'm not so sure of it anymore. All right, let's run it back. Let's run okay. it back. In the matrix, humans represent base reality and the machines represent everyone else created downstream of the initial creation. What in the hell does that mean? <laughs> does that mean anything to you? <laughs> I wrote this like 12 in the, 12 in the morning. I thought it was this great idea. Well, let me let, let me come back. I don't think that means anything. <laughs> I, really I, don't. Uh, I can try to throw you a bone here. I yeah. I, think, I thought like, this was a great idea, but I don't know what it means a damn thing anymore. I, I think there's something to that because I think we did just create a secondary life form with, with with the internet, with AI, and with everywhere everything's going. Like we for sure have created a second life form. I don't know what the hell this is supposed to mean. <laughs> I'm this back to my. All right, ladies and gentlemen, oh, wraps this up is, this episode. No. <laughs> this is great radio. No, I really had this idea for the Matrix. So that was an interesting take on it. Let, let me come back to you. Let me let me let it simmer in my head for a little bit longer. Um, okay, here here's one that I have for you. I thought this was kind of interesting too. This one actually will be interesting, and I actually understand it, so I can tell you what it means. Okay. <laughs> you know that I'm a big fan of uh, of uh, dubstep and electronic music, all that. You know, Com Trues, Bass, Natural, all those people. Okay. I was thinking to myself the other day, I was thinking, you know, I think that this music might actually be too good. And it's like, it's, it's so good that it's unnatural. And I was kind of comparing it to watermelon, to watermelon flavored Jolly Ranchers, that this flavor it has nothing to do with watermelons, of course. I know no one knows what they call it, watermelon flavored Jolly Rancher. It's like, that's not a watermelon, but it's this perfect taste. And it's like, that taste is so good. And it's so unnatural. Nothing even comes close to it. And in a way, it's like, with this electronic music, it's like they've made the watermelon Jolly Rancher a music where it's just, it's so beyond anything else that it's, it's probably too good and that it makes everything else to it just feel uh, inferior in some way. Kind of like when that, you have watermelon flavored Jolly Rancher, it's like nothing else tastes good ever. Good. It's like, how good does it taste? Well, not as good as a watermelon flavored Jolly Rancher. I think that that's true uh, across the board. Like every every once in a while, there's a certain song that just has all the right notes that are being hit. Like it, it's whoever made it was just really ch channeling the muses at that point, and they did it right, and it comes out real good. And I think that's for candy too. Like you could make that argument for the 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 watermelon Jolly Rancher. 
but there's also like a lot of real shitty candies like whoppers and uh tootsie rolls and like all that like i think the same with dubstep like there's a few like very 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 good like arguably perfect dubstep songs out there um but there's also some shitty songs and i think that we are getting better at music because our instruments are getting better and like you if you look at something like the guitar the guitar used to be in every song ever right Mm -hmm. but look at like the top top 20 songs top 20 hits of today like it's all this uh synthetic i don't want to say dubstep because it's not quite dubstep but um electronically based music right like there's no guitar there's no real instruments that doesn't even try to imitate a guitar anymore and it, it yeah i think that dubstep is just the next step in the evolution beyond the guitar like yeah. before the guitar it was like some drums or like i don't know i don't know what else what would have been a maybe a, a mandolin or something like yeah a piccolo a piccolo and then you get the electric guitar and you get the rock bands and then now you have the dubstep and you have the calvin harris and you have the, the avici and you have yeah. the bass nectar I almost worry that with music like that, that in some sense, it's almost a disservice because the music is so entertaining that it makes you okay with being bored almost. So you can like spend a ton of time listening to just this like ridiculous dubstep and all this time will have passed. And in your head, you have all these like crazy things going on. But it's like, you didn't do anything. (laughs) Like you're sitting there enjoying it. And it was like too engrossing that, uh, you know, it almost becomes like a a drug in some sense. It's just, it's, it's so tuned in to the human mind you know this next level of music that it's it's, it's just it's too powerful and like we it, it, it's it's so um perfect that it just it makes it very easy to lose a bunch of time listening to it and uh, basically you know as uh, south park one time said about drugs um you know that they make it okay with being bored and i always thought that was like a very clever i mean south park's full of great quotes like that but i was like, like to me like that's the, the way to be productive is to avoid being okay with being bored is to find ways of oh, say again, to, to avoid productive is to, to, the way to be pro, yeah the way to be productive is to avoid liking or to, to avoid being complacent with the feeling of boredom that is better to to not like being bored and to compel you into some kind of active uh pursuit or something and then with that music because you can enjoy it when you're not doing anything it's, it's so good that it, it makes that process of listening to it, you know, go on rather than being it for a few minutes, being for like, you know, an hour or something. It is, you lose, you lose that time almost. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a good Netflix show or something like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. It's, you just, you're watching it. And then like, next thing you know, like 12 hours have passed and like, yeah. you haven't eaten, you haven't <laughs> used the bathroom. Like you're just a zombie staring at this thing. Yeah. But Binging. Uh, Binging. yeah. I like that that link between boredom and productivity. Um, as you know, Naval Ravikant, something, yeah. someone who we frequently talk about, he says that you can gauge someone's mental health by how comfortable they are being bored, like hmm. how comfortable they are in a room with like no stimulation. Like that's how that's how he gauges like the mental health of someone because a lot of people just go freaking crazy. Like if they don't have their phone to look at, right. if they don't have like a bong to hit, if they don't have a, a show to watch, the dubstep bumping. Music is actually kind of different because music is kind of like doing nothing. Yeah, I, I see. It can also be inspiring, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, and it's good, especially dubstep, if there's not that many lyrics to have in the back of productive work. I, I like it a lot, but I, I've got nothing against music. If I had to choose between someone sitting in a room watching Netflix for 12 hours versus listening to music for 12 hours, I think they'd be a lot better off if they just listen to the music. 
I think so too. Because at least with music, it can it can unleash imagination and you know, and that can lead to something as well. And um, but I, I do think there's a lot to be said about not needing stimulation, but kind of being your own stimulation. And I, I think that's really where reading comes into play because the more that you read, the more ideas that you have in your head, the more that you can play around with these ideas and to, to challenge things and look at things from different perspectives. Um, I think the better off you're going to be just in general. I mean, I, I don't think humans, um, you know, I, th I think humans innately are creative and I think that innately we look to, to make sense of things. And I mean, obviously we do this in a very imperfect way, but I do feel that's kind of our, our natural impulse. Like we, we, and, and just look at how kids when they're young, how they learn just so much so quickly, like they just absorb everything like a sponge. Okay. So they're, there is a benefit, I think, to, to kind of caving into that instinct and to make sure that you always have the material on hand to either to read or to think about, because, you know, that's, that's what leads to creative endeavor in the future is the, the mental work, you know, the, the mental labor beforehand is just as important as the physical labor after. Yeah, I, I think reading is super important for learning and just clear thinking in general. Um, reading is also one of the hardest things to do like it, it's it's been <laughs> very difficult for me to read uh i I've, I've gotten better at it and you know i've made a habit out of it now but before it was like impossible and i think a big part of that is is like once you start reading it's like okay all the stimulation's gone now like where did it all right. go like wait i have to like actively do something to receive my entertainment i can't just sit here and let it come to me and that's a hard mental obstacle to break. And that's like, I think why 95% of the people out there just don't read. Like, it's also, and that's not an exaggeration. Like, literally probably more than 95% <laughs> of people don't read. Yeah. And, and read probably reading books is I, I guess people are on their phone a bunch, but to me, yeah, you can read if, Instagram posts, I guess. If you yeah, exactly. Right. Or that, even, even like a news article that's like very short, you know, like it's kind of these, you've probably have seen these, but the news article itself will be like maybe two or three paragraphs, but there'll be like 10 ads in between every fucking line you go to read. And like, it won't load. And like the words will be all fucked up and you can't, it's like, you're jumping around and everything's loading. And yeah, like, I, I read the headline. That's good enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even yeah. find the article. Yeah. Israel is something. Okay, great. Next article, please. Uh, great. Okay. Wonderful. Um, I think what makes reading hard for, for me, and I've, I think we talked about this before, but finding the instinct to just finish the book, you know, like you read that for completion, whereas really you should be reading, you know, like you should view reading in terms of understanding every page has something to tell you. But sometimes I find myself being in the habit of reading a book and I just find myself turning the pages like just to finish it. And it's like, no, 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 it doesn't count. Yeah. Like if you're not learning from every page, you're not reading, you're skimming or lying to yourself. <laughs> like you're not actually well, reading. Yeah, that, that's true. I think there is something to be said about about just reading for reading's sake in terms of building your your mental dexterity and like your ability to process words faster process them like more mm -hmm. efficiently i think there is something to be said about that and it is a big advantage if you can read something that totally disinterests you like if you can read a book that's yeah. super boring totally disinterests you shit you can read anything like you can learn anything at that point yeah so there's something you said there but yeah i think that once those skills are developed like yeah you should really just be focusing on some of those basic concepts like we talked about early origin yeah. of species uh Feynman lectures you know yeah but, i i definitely agree and i i i think one thing too i like is um there's a there's a quote that i like from sam harris 
which is basically that he says, you know, being bored is a symptom of not paying attention. And I, I always like that, that really wherever you are, whatever you're doing, there is something interesting going on. And really, if you think about it at some base level, even just the experience of existing is this kind of this bottomless well of mystery at some level, right? Like, where did we come from? Where are we going? I mean, all these questions, they're always with us. And uh, we, we as, a, as a conscious living thing are at, at any given time, an example of three things that are still at some level of fundamental mystery. You know, one being existing at all, the other being life, and the third being consciousness. Well, every single human being has within them those three characteristics. Like you're not bored, you're just not paying attention. Like think about what it means to be conscious for half an hour. You're not gonna be bored after that. Like it, there, we are just surrounded by things that are in my opinion, really amazing. And it, it's the idea that there are people who are um, bored. My advice would just, you're not bored. You're just, you're not, you're not really being aware of these things that are around you, that there is actually yeah, you're not paying attention. Yeah. And uh, I always had that one from the Sam Harris. I thought that that was a, a good one. And I, I find myself when I, think the thought of like, oh, I'm bored. I'm thinking, are you really bored or are you just ignoring something? Like find something to focus on, find something to pay attention to and you'll stop being bored. Yeah. That doesn't surprise you because Sam Harris is all about the the meditation and all that. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I think that's what drives people crazy is they, they let the voice in their head just take off and they don't, they don't have any awareness that that voice is not them. So it just takes them on these repetitive loops that just drives people fucking insane. And uh, that's just the standard. That's just the standard way of living. And people try to escape it. That's why they can't sit in a room for an hour straight doing nothing. They got to yeah. they gotta have that that Instagram in the back. Dude, like at, the, at, at work, we have this big uh, dining area, you know, like a big cafeteria type place where there's just, I don't know, maybe 50 tables, 50 to 75 tables. And it's just the saddest thing to see, like, as you walk around, because, well, A, like, everyone's, like, socially distanced, so it's one person eating lunch by themselves <laughs> at each table separated by six feet. Uh, secondly, everyone's also obese. Um, that's an uncomfortable truth about our society today. They're just not healthy at that point. And uh, third, they're just zombied out on their phone. Like, they're just shoving food in their mouth putting you know just reading scrolling through their phone just trying to avoid them themselves is what it feels like yeah they're just afraid to of the voice in their head because they know that it sucks <laughs> <laughs> i uh i that was one thing that you that you drew my attention to is this uh like, and I, I forget the phrase that you used it was like zombie something but for someone that's just always on there, like when you when you're in a public place look around at how many people are just kind of just like zoned out on their phone and, there's uh, zombies, yeah. Yeah. And well, I think all of us, if we're honest, have been in that position before, you know, where somebody could have looked at us and said, oh, like that person's yeah. a zombie. They're on their phone too much. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, sometimes I catch myself doing that when I eat. Yeah. Like sometimes it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. No, I, it's, it, it, it's uncomfortable because, um, you know, on, on kind of on the, on the one hand, I, I, I do, I, I really like having smartphones. I think that they're, they're, they can be really beneficial and they have a lot of great features to them. But uh, man, it is the easiest thing to abuse in uh, probably a typical person's life. I mean, it is really easy to just spend countless hours on your phone, literally doing nothing. And here's how you know if you're doing nothing on your phone. 
if you're not starting from some idea on your phone and progressing to a new idea, then you're doing nothing. If every time you go on your phone, it's the same mindless scrolling. If, if it's ever building on itself, if you're not progressing, then it's, it's accomplishing nothing. So when you're on your phone and you're making progress, if you're reading a book on your phone, you know you're reading the book because the page numbers keeps on going up. You're making it through the book. If you're honestly scrolling through a monotony of nonsense and never progressing from one idea to the next, you're accomplishing nothing. You're comprehending nothing. You're learning nothing. You're just passing time. And I would argue that that passing time is time that is basically wasted because it's time that could be spent, could be spent on doing something more productive, which is measured again by progress. You know, moving from an idea to another idea, moving from activity to another activity, moving through something that is progress. And you're not doing it on your phone if every time you start from the same position. So something that I want to start doing, but I haven't because I know it's going to be really shitty is like just logging my, my screen usage time. Oh, you know, the phone says it. Like, it. I, th- I have a feeling that if I started just writing those numbers down on paper every day, I think it would change my habits quite a bit. Yeah. No, I, I, it's like, I'd be forced to face the fact that I uh, scroll through TikTok for an hour a day or Twitter or whatever. Right. Right. <laughs> I, um, you know, I, the one that I play around with sometimes and I'm not consistent with it, but I, I probably should be is uh, the website blockers that you can put on your phone, you know, like yeah. block Twitter, block, whatever. Um, we should probably all be doing that. Uh, I, I've done it before. I, I don't, I'm not always consistent with it, but I, um, I, it's, I, there, there's all these things that society has right now that we haven't really learned how to live with properly. And I definitely, social media is obviously one. But I think just in general, just having access to connectivity is still a thing that we are not done socially as a species understanding how to really come to grips with. That I don't think we really understand all of its consequences. And I don't think we really understand how to control it, how to be a part of it without it just consuming us all the time. And, um, you know, that's one of the, one of our, you know, as a species, one of these millennium challenges, you know, one will be like avoiding nuclear war, number two. Uh, social media, you know, probably somewhere in that, maybe even swap during one. Avoid but, the brainwashing. Yeah. And, and it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's just because it's always there. I mean, everybody knows this. this isn't anything new, but I mean, it's just, it's always a temptation to pull out your phone and scroll through some nonsense. And, uh, you know, it's not making you feel good. It's probably making you feel bad. And it's a huge time sink. It's, it's a coding huge, huge, it's programming you too. I mean, I had a few more things on here I wanted to go over with you today. I wanted to come back. Let, let, let's go back to the Matrix Sun real quick. Just take a bit of time. Okay. Not, not marinated for a little bit. Here, a here's, little what I was, yeah, here's what I was thinking with the Matrix. Okay. The normal simulation hypothesis that we normally hear about is, you know, at some level, there was base reality, and then they made an AI, and then that made an AI. And, like, you're always living inside of the simulation of another species. It's, right. it's nested, yeah. It's nested, right. So my thinking with the matrix is that maybe it was like a metaphor where the machine world is literally all of the nests and then humanity is like the base reality on top of it. And so um, in a way, it's like inside of the matrix, how do we know that the humans are in fact base level reality? Like maybe the, the humans who think that they're humans are actually themselves just inside of another matrix. Oh, yeah. one above, and it goes up and up and up so like the morpheus eh, no, spoiler alert no um you know the 
the people who think that they're actually humans are themselves actually inside of another matrix that is from another species and that it just goes up and up and up and yeah i mean statistically that's the only way it can be like it's very unlikely that we're the the original species that we're the uh, first nest maker the first nest maker the first the first uh bird in it in, in a sense i um i really liked i don't know if you followed this guy name is avi loeb he's the uh, harvard astronomer that was oh, yeah, the, he, the one floating thing could be a spaceship or something like that Not a yeah yeah ufo stuff he um he had, a, he, had a, he had a great quote. I watched a podcast with him. I had a great quote. As I kind of paraphrase it, but it's, um, we must always push for experiment in action. We must resist the urge of mental gymnastics. We must always expose our ideas to be easily testable. I really like that. And I really want that to be a theme for this podcast is that, and I said this at the beginning, I don't want this to just be an ideas you know, podcasts, right, where we have conversations. I really want for us to drive ourselves. I think that we do this already, but continue to, to drive ourselves and to try to derive actions out of people that we find to be inspiring. So like, how does reading Nassim Taleb cause us to behave differently? How does reading Scott Adams cause us to behave differently? So on and so forth. And to really be open to testing these ideas, but also incorporating them. Um, this is back to the idea of reading, but if you, you have to change behavior. You have to change what you do in order to benefit from, from learning. And I know one thing that I am trying to do is when I read something is I think, well, what am I, what am I going to do with that knowledge? What, am, what, what can I do with it now that I have it? How can I put it into use? And to get back to a phrase that we were kind of teasing at the beginning of the discussion with a high school is that it's very frequent. I've said this, I'm sure you've said this as well. You're in class and you ask a question, how can I use, you know, it's like, when am I ever going to use this information? When am I ever going to use this? I think the better question that we should be training kids to ask is how can you use this? Here's knowledge, find a way to make it useful. And we should be empowering kids the technology they have and put it into action. And rather than complaining about learning something, figure out how to make it useful, figure out how to make it uh, beneficial. Yeah. Speaking of taking action, I think that might be a good place to end it and tell people that a good, great way to take action is to uh, smash that like button, smash push that it, subscribe, smash it, smash it, um, like, subscribe, Twitter again at Rose underscore rhetoric, uh, follow Joe on Twitter at Jose four underscores Cuervo, Instagram, our YouTube channel, follow us all there, like, share, subscribe, check for notifications, also the website www.rosesandrhetoric.com. But until the next time, I'm Jimmy Hackett signing off for Joseph Stanford. So still charming, still charming folks. Mm. We will see you all next time.